What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Desolation Radio with me, new boy, Kieran Smith. Dr. Um, Smith. Do- well, yeah, Kieran Smith, yeah. Dr. Kieran, um, Dr. Smith. Just <laughs> gradually working on my project of muscling Dan out of the pod. Uh, I'm going to be presenting today with Nathan Cush, as ever. How's it going, yeah. Nathan? Dan's not in. Uh, he did say to us that he was organising an underground like boxing match, like bare knuckle fight. But uh, we checked his Instagram, and he's actually at the Vale Vale and Glamorgan Hotel having a spa day. Having a spa day, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, reading poetry. Yeah, reading poetry. <laughs> <laughs> so we're delighted to be joined today by uh, Professor, and I'm going to use this as the opportunity to um, stamp out any doubts about how to pronounce your name. So, um, Na- Neil, Niall. <laughs> Um, you're not going to stand by the doubts because I'm just going to say I really don't mind. I really don't care, honestly. I'm going to make it up as we go along then. So, Professor yeah. Professor Neil Griffiths. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, thanks a lot for being with us, uh, Neil. Um, you know, obviously a prolific writer, novels, poetry, nonfiction. Uh, so the early stuff, Grits and Sheep Shagger. Uh, more recently, a novel uh, last year, Broken Ghost. Mm. Which has done really well. Uh, obviously, a writer of poetry, Red Raw, came out in. Red Raw, yeah. Um, uh, 2013, 2014, something like that. As well as non fiction as well. So, he wrote real, the real Liverpool book, the real yeah. Aberystwyth yeah. book, Peter yeah. Finch's series. Yeah. And there's, um, yeah, there's the tra- Travelogue, 10 pound palm. Yeah. Uh, about Australia. A couple of children's things. Well, a couple of, not so much children's things as books for people who were the reading age of yeah. children. Often people who are learning English or people who never learn to read, read, mm. you know, and then they've, they've gone down quite well in prisons. Those All right, things, really, which is quite nice. Yeah, yeah, that but is yeah. good. It's like an educational tool type thing. Always. Really, yeah, yeah. And people who are just learning to read, you know, um, people who learn to read English because they've, you know, they've come from abroad, but mm. also um, Indigenous Brits who've just yeah. never learned to read. Uh, just missed that class, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I catch yeah. up now. Yeah, <laughs> that's the funny thing, you know, with teaching in prisons and um, rehab centres and things. The whole, the whole notion of the term rehab, it's mm. like re is something to get back to, but no, a lot of these people, it's just hab. Yeah. They were never habituated to, yeah. to or, or habilitated to doing these kind of things. They're doing it for the first time. Mm. And something like, you know, late 20s, early 30s, and they've never learned to read. Yeah. Is, so, that a, is that a good way for you to be like, oh, well, now you've read this, would you like to also read this? And then kind of get them through like your kind of back catalogue of work. Well, well, strangely, <laughs> Trade a market for yourself, like. strangely, <laughs> strangely, people who um people who are only just learning to read have a great difficulty with dialect. All oh, right, um, as in reading dialect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have a very, a well, you, reading it. Yeah, you need to learn. You need to know English to know the deviation. Exactly that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you need to you need to know what the laws are before you can break them. Yeah, it's really, so, which, which uh, is why they're in prison. Which is why they're in prison, of course. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. a lot of Neil's work uses dialectal writing, mm. I suppose I could say. Obviously, so it's good to have an actual real life living writer on the pod. So, thanks a lot for coming on. You're um, welcome. So, uh, obviously, the idea of these culture episodes is to, be, as I say, like muscle Dan out of the of the picture. Ultimate is my ultimate plan, but mm. really to mm. give people mm. more of a sense of introducing people to that may not be aware of how much you know really interesting work has been done in Wales mm. um, across the arts really so um neil i was hoping you could give us a bit of um a sense of your background and sort of how you came to writing as you know as a particular form of expression and as an art yeah, form really yeah. yeah um i was born in liverpool um and something of a kind of white ghetto really you know um i mean we weren't dead poor at all but we were we were you know working class there's never any books in the house really um we had the rothman's football yearbook and the I spy guides of the hedgerow, these kind of things, which I often say, um, will tell you everything you need to know about the daddy long legs, except why, you know. And it was the why that I was always interested in. Um, and I just didn't know, but what it was, it was full of stories, you see. 
you know, um, full of stories of the old countries, Wales and Ireland, and my granddad fought in the war and all that kind of stuff. So it's just full of stories, you know, it's great kind of Celtic tradition of storytelling. Um, a lot of them were, hor- were horrific stories, like ghost stories and things, and, you know, really quite scary stuff, which I think is somewhere preparing you for the horrors of being an adult, you know. Um, so I just became fascinated with stories and narrative and how it kind of would reframe the world and how the world would be simultaneously easier to cope with but more complex than the way it was presented to you in your own small milieu, you know. Mm. So both of those things I just found absolutely fascinating. Um, so I just started kind of creating stories and then writing them down and, and they just so grew what and kind of age are you talking, you know? You're really young, yeah. I mean, about, you know, five or six, okay. you know, really, really young, just creating very simple stories, mm. you know, invented a rocket ship that sailed in the moon, which you'd get, you know, in, in, in school, you know, they give you these little comprehension classes, but I'd, t- I'd take them further mm. and then, and then I'd, it would, I'd bring them back from school and carry on writing them at home, you know, um, and when a lot of people were, um, you know, I, I, you know, playing out. Although I do that as well. You know, I was quite a sociable kid. And one thing that that stuck me was like a little at the edge of the estate it was like a little uh, bit of bit of woodland. Hmm. And because of the, the place where I was growing up, if you had a book of poetry, let's say, you know, you'd be beaten up. You know, so I'd, I'd take it down to go and sit in these in these in these woods, secretive. So reading for me became this kind of contraband practice, this secret thing to hide. Um, you know, because I didn't want them to get me nose broken the head kicked in by the nasty kids you know so this always became something secret and which kind of segued into when i got older you know find a secret place to smoke weed or, or, or drink underage i don't know or, what you mean by that but no, uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> dandelions you know <laughs> um or n- n- nettles i found you get a good good hit yeah, yeah. so <laughs> so it, it kind of the two things became you know this naughty thing that you have to do to hide from people but being a, like interesting to say, having to go to outside of the urban mm. to hide, you know, to explore writing mm. or to to read, and the fact that I don't know, it, it becomes a vehicle for just taking you like physically out of your no, the normal mm. urban environment, the normal urban space, and what that can do. I mean, because obviously environmentalism comes up, you know, it's a major yeah, aspect yeah. of your writing. Yeah. So it seems like in the early age that was uh, an That's interesting. Of... Yeah, I've, I've never quite... I mean, it was just only only a small copse of trees at the edge of the estate. Mm. And there's a little, you know, horrible little shitty ditch. But maybe I, I remember finding um, a rat in this little ditch and I followed him. You know, I was fascinated by this little rat and, and he went down and, and he had a little nest in there. He was baby, so I told people, oh... The babies are the rats. So they all came down with bricks and smashed and killed all, all the rats and the babies, you know. Yeah. So I learned from a very, very early age not to fucking announce these things to people, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe um, I've never quite made that connection. The little little tiny bit of nature I had in the urban mm-hmm. environment is maybe where that fascinating with, with, with nature began. I think it's quite interesting as well because um, not to talk about sheep shagging too much, but, you know, the, there's the aspect of nature presented but it's like the brutal reality of nature yeah know? and it's not yeah. like kind of yeah you know the the disney disneyfication of like you know bam, like deer just running and everything yeah. being harmonious it's just like the kind of almost which is kind of, aspect which is kind of political and i was quite i was quite aware that it was it was, it was, it was political statements like this notion of wales especially as, as being kind of a rich man's playground a place mm. of harmony mm. you know it's like how green is my valley you know there's no it's no it's no coincidence that yanto and sheep shagger is 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 a kind of a nod well i say nod more of an abbreviated headbutt to the yanto in how green is my valley it's all this nonsense that you know people walk home singing songs for the bowl of man's cowl and it's seen as like you know wales is this harmonious bit of nature where you can go and get away from it but it misses all of the the it reduces the glorious ugliness and 
beautiful um, indifference. Yeah. You know, it's not malicious. It's just indifferent to, 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 to humanity, really. You know, and we just miss all that, and 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 and, and, and as well as that, um, you know, the, the 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 problems that rural communities have, you know, phthisis in the lungs and all, all that kind of thing. Um, we're at work, we're trying to co- co- coax my cat to, yeah. to, to to go over to play with us. I mean, he himself, you know, he's a feral cat. You know, he's, he was yeah. he was brought up in a goat shed. Really? Yeah, and when we got him, he just stank of goats for about for about three months, you know. Yeah. Um, and I like having cats for that reason. You know, he brings in mutilated rabbits. And oh, things. my uh, my cat's been doing that this week. He just like start meowing happily at the back door. And oh, he's got some poor mutilated like, things. You could do crunching, crunching bones. It. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, fair play yeah. too. Like, I mean, that's these are tiny tigers, you know, and I quite I, I quite like having uh, having these animals around me. But it was very much a political thing. It was like. Um, you know the words worthy and thing above Tintin Abbey. You know, you know the the the, the operative word there is above. Um, but I wanted to mm. kind of be immersed in it and show that that whole reduction of the Celtic edge to some harmonious, euphonious place where humans can live in harmony with nature is so reductive, and it's quite political. I and think. it's racialized as well. Isn't and it? I think it's racialized. Yeah, I really think human, it is, I, yeah. humans in that supposedly harmonious environment, as you say, how green was my valley? Like, there's yeah, of course, there's yeah. a colonial dimension to presenting Wales. Undoubtedly, so yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. what? I mean, was it the um, the fact? I mean, what brought you to Ceredigion? I suppose is uh, well, came to Ceredigion. Um, my, my Welsh connections were always in North Wales, although we'd go mm. to like Barrafundal Bay on holiday and stuff like that. Liverpool yeah. being like the capital of North Wales. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, um, I remember going to, well, I don't remember, but I remember Dad telling me. I remember it very, very vaguely. We were going down south to Tenby, I think it was, on Aldi. Um, and I was car sick, so we stopped in um, at this little beachside town. I remember this big sweeping promenade, and that was Aberystwyth. So we stopped there to get me some... You know, um, car sickness pills and some sandwiches and things. Um, and if I remember, like my dad said, I ate half the sandwich and then vomited in the bag all over everybody else's sandwiches. <laughs> it's like Nathan um, the drive up from uh, yeah. <laughs> South Wales today. <laughs> Just not used to like incline and decline so much. <laughs> so, um, and then when I, I, I did a degree, um, and then what I, I was going to, I, I in Aberystwyth or? No, that was in Cambridge, in the Arts College in Cambridge. Oh, amazing, yeah. Um, but then I didn't want a proper job, so I thought, well, I'll just carry on studying, you know. So I wanted to do a PhD. Well, I didn't know where I wanted to. I just, as I say, didn't want to go out into the world of work. Um, I was leaving for my dad at the time, and he was working for this bloke, um, who was going through a really bad divorce. Um, so he said, how are you going to fund yourself if you do a PhD? I said, I don't really know. And he said, well, I'll give you, I think it was 200 quid a month for the first couple of years, which, and this was back in 92 or 93, which was so like helpful. Three grand you know. a month or something yeah. in today's well, money. In today's money, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my God, my rent was about 35 quid then, you know. Um, so I did. So I came, came to, to do the PhD. So I remembered it from this time, um, as I say, we stopped when, when I was a kid. Um, and then, but the rave scene took off around about then. So I just started going to an awful lot of raves and, um, kind of enjoying myself really um, but I was forgetting things you know because of the intoxicants mm. I was meeting really fascinating people um, but I'd forget what they, their stories were so I started writing them down on the come downs um, and then it just became that became grits really you know mm. meeting all these different people hearing their stories and then I was exploring the the, the, the wilds I was sent to um, on an outward bound course when I, when I was at late teens for being naughty basically um, and the magistrate said you know um, it's like a, a punishment Although it wasn't, you know, I mean, Daily Mail readers will fucking hate this, but it did work. You know, the, you know, I remember him saying, you know, you need an outlet for your energies. You know, um, you're going to go on, on this outward bound course, which was kind of more of an obstacle course. It's like, you know, it's like you had to um, 
do abseiling and all this kind of stuff, tiddling across gorges, sleep outside on mountaintops and all that kind of thing, you know. I remember waking up um, um, on top of one of the smaller hills in, in Erery, anyway, and just thinking, just feeling some kind of place of bliss. It wasn't comfortable, you know, far from being comfortable, but it was calm, you know. I felt some calm that I hadn't felt for the, in my entire life, really. So that became the so, kind of fascination with that, with, with with uplands. It's interesting because the, especially the early novels, don't strike me as very calm. No, they're not. No, <laughs> no they're not. I mean, but maybe that was another way of, of myself finding calm. Um, you know, I've spoken to um, monks and you know, you know, higher oblate types, you know, mm. and they've always said, you know, when you find a god um, that you believe in, it's never comfortable, but it's calm. You know. I mean, so there are in the in in I think all through my books really there are moments of transcendent ecstasy really. Um, so like great. I remember there's one tiny section with Roger, you know, the the maddest character in that mm. in that book, and he just says, um, "It's beautiful where I go. There are leaves falling on the water." And it's, the hint is that this is what this is what he feels when he's on heroin. Um, but it's just these moments of transcendent bliss. It seems to me. Especially in, I think, uh, Sheep Shagger, when Yanto almost just feels like quite calm after he's uh, murdered someone. After like, he's murdered people, yeah. Yeah, the... yeah. And then there's a bit where he. Well, I think his first murder is in, is in his imag- imagination, is when he imagines killing the people who've, co- who've taken over his cottage. And then when he's done that, and he feels like he's sinking into the bog and just becoming one. Yeah. You know, this great dissolution. Something with... very, like, elemental about him, isn't he? He's, like, kind of, like, a birth from this harsh, like, like wilderness yeah. And, like, and yeah, I think he's often described as half man, half mud because he's always covered in filth, you know. And it's always struck me as well in um, religions as well. Modern Christianity is about dying and then entering a place of optimal physical glory, which just seems odd to me. Christianity, mm. as well as every other religion, was all about the dissolution of the self and the ego, you know. It seems a modern thing that this will be your reward is to live at the age of 25 and be beautiful for all eternity. It's nonsense. Yeah, it's, it's nonsense, yeah. even as metaphor. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so, I'm still holding on to it, though. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to kind of ask you about the sort of the early development of your prose style and the and the dialectal kind of uh, writing that you've done mm. as well. Uh, you know, we've seen off my cow effect of you know your ability to convey very niche accents in writing and and what it takes to be able to do that but mm. obviously your stuff was you know initially compared with people like James Kalman and even Welsh because mm. you know working in a similar vein but with your work it's always seems to be the the way in which that dialectal writing is combined with this sort of very richly textured sort of mm. transcendental elemental prose as well right yeah and the, yeah. and how you view those two modes uh, interconnecting and how do, how do, the, do those two voices speak to each other? I suppose. Well, I suppose the guy who's the biggest influence was, was Ron Betty and American act- Americans actually, Court McCarthy and people like mm. that. You know, um, there's a little bit of Alexander Trockey and James Kalman and Urban, well, especially with Trainspotting. But the biggest guy was Ron Betty in Solon Hector Beb, and he would talk about when he kills it, he kills a sheep and all that kind of thing. And it had this suggestion in it of this of the demotic and the hieratic kind of language, but the main thing of it is, is that everybody would write about you know in one dialect, you know Glaswegian in James Kalman's case and valleys in in, in Ron Berry's case. And I thought, well, what if I mixed them all together? You know, ma- you know, mangled them all together. And also, oh, and also uh, um, Roddy Doyle, you know, with, with his yeah. with his Dublin accents. But I thought also, I want to make a case for the fact that this dialect language 
is also full of what would be what would be termed in academic circles as as a scholarly register. You know, it has alliteration and metaphor and simile, and it has soaring flights of fancy. You know, so I wanted to put that in, um, and then I thought, you know, I don't want. So if I had these, you know, biblical hieratic um, meditations on landscape and things, I hope the two don't jar. You know, I hope I hope they meld seamlessly in. Because I'm trying to show the 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 similarity between the two, you know, the 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 the, the underlying kinship between the between those two registers. What, Which, what again, is the kinship? What? How do you? Well, as a kind of um, a kind of love of language, you know, and a and the way, as and a in, lust for language, as in nature having its own language in the same way that. Well, also how um, how can, how the how that register is seen politically. You know, you know, you never get someone with um, our accents reading the news. Mm. You know, you might get a, well, a Welsh accent, but it's a posh one. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hugh, Hugh Edwards. Like. Hugh Edwards, exactly. Yeah, you, <laughs> you might get a Scottish accent, but it's a posh one. Yeah, you never have accents, yeah, accents like that. Which is Irish. often actually a completely manufactured accent. Of course, which it is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. It's just but, gonna... but, it, but it made me think. You know how you know how ingrained this is. I mean, recently Boris Johnson's father was asked about um, his parental skills. Um, and he said, oh, I didn't really do much. I sent them off to the schools. I let the schools do the heavy work. And I thought, imagine if someone with our accent said that, you know, it'd be all, yeah, or a Brummie yeah, accent or a Geordie yeah. accent. It'd be all over the bleeding papers, you know, these feral underclass sending their kids off to school. Yeah. It's just because it was, it was, it, it was delivered in a posh accent. So I wanted to say, you know, people who, you know, speak like us, you know, I'm, you know, and perhaps not that, perhaps not very articulate, but they're trying to, to articulate big thoughts. Um, and it also has its own beauties in a scholarly terms. Okay. You know, it does have a, 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 a an, an alliterative skill and all this kind, all this kind. A of bit thing. like uh, I don't know if you ever seen the TV series Deadwood. Yeah, but like you know, like yeah. that, that's very like poetic exactly and Shakespearean. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, it like you know, not be undercut. But you know, they'd be like you know, yeah, swear, exactly swearing yeah. in it as well. Yeah, I mean, some of the you know. Look at him there, as shiny as a as shiny as a fresh laid turd. Yeah, I mean, just brilliant, it's just beautiful. Yeah. Um, incidentally, um, the novel I've just got with my agent now is a Welsh Deadwood. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, it's set back in some kind of dyschronic time, and you know, it's yeah. a bit like you know, they talk this kind of florid language. Yeah, you know, I quite enjoyed doing it. But that was one thing that um, when I was growing up, you know, my dad, um, not a very articulate man, but he'd say things like, um, if you were spread out on the couch and you wanted to sit down. And he'd say, you know, get up, look at you, spread out there like a mad woman shit. <laughs> you know, which is just, it's just so picturesque and, yeah, evo- yeah. and, and evocative. Yeah. So things like that, you know, even though my dad's got no education, you know, but he's just, he, he can, he uses, he loves words. You know, yeah. You know? Yeah. And all people do. I think maybe it's the Irish heritage and the Welsh heritage. Well, maybe not. Maybe it's just working class. Maybe it's just people who love words. I remember yeah. uh, in in work when someone passed someone uh, like in the middle of something going, "I ain't working on the weekend for no cunt like that." <laughs> I mean, it's just so funny. Like, <laughs> I was in Carmarthen yesterday in boots. There's a little little old lady in front of me putting a change away, and it fell on the floor. And she's just like whispering to herself, "Went, oh look at that! I was putting it away so nicely. <laughs> Down it all went." <laughs> just this lovely little. And yeah. if you map that, it's probably got a poetic rhythm, you know, with yeah. with yeah. pests and trockies and all that kind of thing. But that was one thing that I knew about Tony Harrison, you know, that you know the, the lead writer, and he said, if you listen to people speak, they speak an iambic pentameter. Bollocks do they? They no. really don't. No. I think that's because he's trained as a classicist, and he, and he doesn't <laughs> want to feel that he's like... himself in the working class. So he's got to apply his, his training as a classicist to his upbringing, so he feels connected. It's absolute shite. It has its own rhythm and its own beauties and its own music. You don't have mm. to impose something on it, you know. Yeah. 
So what were the, uh, you mentioned Cormac McCarthy, Ron mm. Berry. So how did you come across Ron Berry? Because I mean, I, I mean, I didn't know that Ron Berry existed and now like obviously his biggest fan, but um, you know, I wasn't aware until I did a Masters of Swansea, which, you know, which specialised in Welsh writing. I was, I was never exposed to someone like Ron Berry in school or anywhere else, you know, so I was wondering no, how you came no. to... That, I think that, that was a stroke of luck. I was about 10, um, just looking through a jumble sale, really, and, and, and I remember appearing so long Hector Bed by Ron Berry. Um, I think it must maybe, have been the old, obviously the old Yeah, really, then, yeah, because like, really, obviously it's been... Really old copy. Yeah, this would yeah. have been, well, at times it would have been 75 or around about then. Um, seventy six. So yeah, it must have been it must have been the, the old edition. Yeah, and I, I don't know, maybe the name Ron Berry sounded nice. Berry, yeah, you know, yeah, I like no. strawberries. So long, Hector Bebe had a kind of Americanism in it, and the names Hector Beb was quite interesting. Um, I remember just being blown away by it, and I lost it. You know, we went to Australia then as, as kids, and it just it fell by the way. You know. But I remember watching a program when I was writing the first book um, about about it. Oh, I remember this book when I was a kid. And then when it got published, and I mentioned it and said, you know, this is before Parthian I'd, I'd reissued it. I said, I've since lost that, long ago lost that book, and I can't track a copy down. Um, so I got about four sent to me through the post <laughs> by just people who had, had copies yeah. and said, you know, I'm glad we can help you out, which is really nice. I know, it's a, it's one of those novels, like, it's so, fun, you know, astonishingly underrated and just how yeah how yeah. good it actually is and yeah. it, you know it could be an amazing film it could it could there was so yeah. much that could be and done loads of flame and slag is, is a fantastic yeah yeah and yeah. Uh, the, this bygone and as you were saying yeah um, full-time his, amateur i think is my favorite history is what is what you do and the short yeah. stories and yeah. peregrine watching yeah in peregrine yeah. watching well yeah another nature writer as well you know. yeah definitely yeah yeah. When I say about when, when I do some teaching about how poetry can be brought in so beautifully, and there's a line from Ron Berry, winter crimped and rusted the bracken hills above blind V. What a phrase, you know, yeah. it's a beautiful phrase. It makes me go goosebumps. Yeah. yeah. It's just brilliant. So he obviously, trying to segue this in, but Berry writing about very much the Ron there mm. at a particular time. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you about writing about this particular part of the world, you know, mm. Aberystwyth, Ceredigion and, and surrounding areas. And, you know, and the decision that you've made to, you know, situate your fiction mm. in in very, you know, real environments and, and naming real places and real pubs and the rest of that. Yeah. Like, yeah. What's the what's the significance of that, the rationale for that? I mean... Um, I've, I was of all my novels, Runt is perhaps the only one that's really set in one... I mean, they're all rooted in place. But Runt's the only one that really doesn't move out of one place. And all the characters in it are from that place. Um, in all my other books, the characters are from elsewhere. But also, also you know, mixed with characters, lo- localised characters. Um, oh, no, maybe Sheepshagger comes to think of it, actually. I think Sheepshagger, every character is, is based is based in, in this area. Um, but Grits, there's characters more all over the yeah. place, you know. So I wanted to show... Um, Basically, how you know um, Aberystwyth is kind of a, a small city, and, and uh, people come here to from other cities to get away from the problems. But the problems follow them; they just bring the problems with them. You know, they, they you know they don't escape them. But I've always liked that notion um, of in literature rootedness, um, and how what you know the genius of a place in in you know in the old way of, of, of using the word genius, the you know the spirit of a place, the, yeah, the, the genius loci and yeah, genius yeah, loci, yeah. The, yeah, the quiddity of a place and all that kind of thing. I like to explore that and how it affects people. And how the landscape affects people, you know, um, and you see, you hear in the Welsh language, I think, um, you know, in the Welsh language, it has, it's partly granite hard, and then it kind of trickles and trills like a mountain stream, and, you know, mm-hmm. and I do think it's kind of reflected in, in, in that, if you like Scottish Gaelic, 
again, it's quite it's, it's quite similar. Mm. So I think it comes out in and it comes out in the drink and in the localized food and all that kind of stuff, you know. And I think it comes comes out in in personality as well, in some way which I haven't really worked out yet. Um, and I hope I never do because I want to keep exploring for, for, for as as long as I live. And I also wanted to, I mean, show that this is a part of where that's never been written about. Certainly not in prose. You know, prose was always about this, this the, the southern coal fields or maybe the cities of the south. Or there was, there was the odd exception, like one moonlit night. You know, Eden Osler Lyad, set in Bethesda. But um, but they were they were rare exceptions. So I wanted to kind of to to, to set it here mm. in this place that never is never really written about, but he's incredibly rich at the edge of Europe. You know, well, yeah, still on the edge of fucking Europe. You know. And the next stop is after Ireland is bloody New York, you know. So it, yeah. it so it just looks out at the sea with this sense of rooted sense of identity and belonging, um, but also with this sense of expansive possibility with the sea just just ahead of you, mm. you know. And as far as I knew, no one had, no one had done that. Yeah, I, well, I, not not in prose anyway. Yeah, and that's I suppose you know my only question about the the relationship between your sort of dialect writing. And the more naturalistic kind of like you know elemental sort of writing, the dialect, as you say, is part of the landscape. Mm. You know, I've always sort of I've come to the realization of reading about sort of space and place and the rest of it. You know, that places, you know, it's the the old adage like you know places are never fixed; they're places of processes, right? Yeah, and yeah, language yeah. is part of the process yeah. through which a place. Yeah. Is lived and understood and known, yeah. you know, and experienced. We can't, you know, it's impossible to experience. Well, is it or isn't it? But to, to experience place without language, well, what is that? I mean, <laughs> is that possible? You know what I mean? And how language impacts on the way that we know places and the way that places impact on the way that, on the kinds of language that become possible within them. And that's what I'm kind of interested in your writing is that you know you, tr- you fight and and same with Barry. You know, find mm. finding a language that can convey. A sense of place, mm. I think, is mm. um, a really difficult thing to do. <laughs> Which I think was, I think, was one reasons why you know there's many reasons why why I wrote it in the way I did. But I think that was one of the reasons was to have nine different dialects, um, and to one of the suggestions being is that you can't really talk about a place like this um, unless you bring in all these different voices and different impressions. You know, because it is. I mean, it's a place of. Um, it always has, you know. Coastal Wales has always been multicultural, way back in the past, and that's why a place like Newquay has has China streets because there's a lot of people in there who've been to China, mm. you know, people who've never been to London, maybe not even Cardiff, but they've been to China. So I was kind of trying to, you know, in some way, um, emblematize the history of these areas. And in the last one, Broken Ghost, there's a bit where one of the characters is looking at Al Twen. Um, in town, and he's, and he's, and he's imagining, you know, people up there looking for boats coming, trading boats coming come across some island and which had come from France and all that kind of thing, you know. Yeah. So, um, I'm getting a bit esoteric there, but I wanted to show the, um, how the mutability of a place, um, is so tightly bound up with the, with the mutability of language. I mean, now grits does not really reflect Aboriginal as it is now, but it, it reflects as it was in 1998. You know, or two thousand when it was published, but I, you know, I've changed an awful lot since then. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, interesting. You describe it like a city. I mean, growing up in South Wales and Swansea, the perception. I remember a friend of mine from school, 
uh, who'd left the school because his parents had moved to Aberystwyth. Mm. And like for me, Aberystwyth was l- like the other side of the universe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so it's yeah. such an unknown. Yeah. Being from South yeah. Wales and like, yeah. oh, that place in Wales, in proper Wales, where like <laughs> yeah. all the Welsh where people are. You know what I mean? Where it's got things like weather. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like how, just how much of a distance that was. Yeah. Felt like it was Which way. Is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that speaks to like, you know, the, the bloody transport infrastructure as much well as that as well that's, that's very true but, um, but was that because the language as well I th- oh, that so it was, you know, this, is well, well. this is Welsh yeah, Wales it was, it was a, a other in some set, you know, yeah, from, Swansea's yeah, not yeah. you know Swansea's always been a very anglicised place anyway yeah, yeah. you know in its own way but yeah. Aberystwyth I remember seeing oh that was completely out of that was, that the, was know, beyond the pale but, so to speak yeah. but yeah. as you say Aberystwyth itself is you know historically <laughs> a very diverse place yeah. because it's got yeah. people coming in and out and because of its closeness to the sea you know and yeah, because of yeah. the links with especially like um you know across mid wales and the midlands as well you know it, of course yeah yeah i mean that's yeah you get that every summer you, you there's an awful lot yeah. of brummies here yeah you know? yeah just straight through on the train it's like one of the other accents in Aber basically is brummie, brummie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 there's the old there's the old joke um but what's the difference between a Brummie and an Easy Jet? The Easy Jet stops whining when it lands at Alicante. You know, <laughs> yeah. you get all the other kind of br- br- Brummie jokes going on. Oh yeah, yeah. Yow yows is one of the one of the names for the, for, for Brummies because you know oh, you it? know they speak yeah yeah so yeah, 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 yow, yeah yow for you and all that or yam yam the kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, um, but I've got you know, I've got some some links with with um, the Midlands. Oh, okay, so hence the uh, Brummie character in Broken Ghost, the newer. Uh, yeah, yeah. Although he's Black Country, you know. Right. You know, okay. The, the, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. The, you know the, yeah. I'm not, we're not bloody brummy, yeah, we're bloody yeah. black country. Yeah. You know, so yeah, so I wanted to, to bring that in. And I also wanted to bring in um, uh, that, that train journey from here to to the Midlands, you know, that unbroken train journey. Yeah. So I thought well, that's a way of doing that. That's the core of the book, that, yeah. that, that train journey, yeah. you know. So I thought well, that's a way of doing it. Have them go into go into one and have some bad happening in Wolverhampton. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, we won't say what happens. But it's yeah. one of my books. Everything, something's bad is always bound to happen. You know, especially as I'm on that bit right now. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't, don't give it away. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so Broken Ghost. Yeah. So that it came out 20, 2019, just end of last year. Twenty nineteen. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I remember talking to you about this before, and you were saying, "Oh, I've written a book about Brock and Spectres." Yeah. And I'd, yeah. ne- I'd never heard of this thing of the Rock Inspector. Yeah. yeah. And now, well, I know what it is. But could you say a bit about that and sort of what what, um, what is a Rock Inspector and and how that um you know what that emblematizes in the book, I suppose. But a Rock Inspector is um, a recognised meteorological phenomenon. It's when if you're on a ridge, I mean, you wouldn't you know where where I've, where I set it in Clean Savudran just behind us, um, you wouldn't really see one there. Um, you know, you you wouldn't get the the, the atmospheric conditions that are amenable to seeing one. But you get them in, in, on Crib Gork in Sidonia and, and various other ridges. And when the air has enough has enough water saturation in it, um, you can see the shadow of yourself on the air. It's quite an unnerving experience, really. So also, you've seen one then? Yeah, yeah, well, when I was climbing um, um, at Wintha. Um, it is a quite unnerving, but also quite strangely beautiful and um, yeah. transcendental. Um, sublime experience. I think it, uh, I was saying to Nath that if I hadn't known what it was, and mm. you know, you you can imagine being in that mind state at the beginning of the novel. You know, they've all been on a night out. Yeah, you know, yeah. they've all done yeah. a couple of pills or whatever it is. Yeah, and you can imagine five in the morning, the sun is rising, and you see this, and, and they like, see this. It's yeah. going to be yeah. epiphanic, yeah. and like, you know, exactly that. Yeah, yeah. Even though it's, yeah. it's easily explainable. Yeah, you know, it's not a spiritual thing, but um, um, they take it as being one. Um, yeah. Which in itself is important, you know yeah. how things how things work on you in in this way. That in itself is the core. Um, 
I guess the idea as well of just you know there's you know your various selves and like your better seeing your better self or like you know, with the Brockman respect as well. It's like it's almost like your dark self, it's your shadow, but mm. almost to the extent that it it is you and it isn't you. Like exactly, it's also your future ghost, and it's also you know in in um, Celtic myth the fetch, um, sometimes called the get as well. It's like it was like the your double. You know, um, and it was either a good you or a bad you, depending on 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 how you. I think in Sheepshagger when he sees the old lady and she washes him, um, and he sees his shadow and says it's like the lesser fetch of his own self. You know, but if I could kind of if if I could explain what um what the Brock Inspector means and stands for in 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 Brunos, then I wouldn't have bothered me asked to write the book, to be honest. Um, it stands for a lot of things. It means an awful lot of things, and hopefully, you know, the idea behind it as well is that if every reader to every reader it will mean it means something different. You know. I guess in the sense that, like, because uh, austerity is it features heavily, and like, mm. um, you know, the, the fallout because of it, and although Brock inspectors obviously aren't the the things that can be ex- explained, but they look ethereal, and it's almost like you need faith in something, and like these exactly you know, that, yeah, or like yeah. something yeah. higher to kind of not not so much guide you, but like comfort you in a sense, yeah, 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 and aspire towards and um, kind of uh, justify. Justify some human emotion in a world that seems to have gone numb, you know, mm, mm. Um, and that and that reduces human emotion at every turn, you know. Um, human activity. I mean, what you know, what what we get now with um with the immigration point system is that how how financially useful are you? You know, it's not you know sod reduces you to a number. Yeah, it just yeah, becomes quantitative. Yeah, how it? much can you earn? You know, sod artistic endeavor or empathy or compassion or anything, you know. Or and people, intrinsic value yeah. as a human being. As it? a human being, exactly that. And, um, you know, how much you earn is a, is an index of how valuable you are. Um, it's just an obscene way of looking at things, I think. I, I find that lately, I know we've spoken about it off mic briefly, and, um, like, me and Kieran talked about it before, just, like, it seems now more than ever there's that shift of just, like, you know... I guess maybe it's different because we're in South Wales, but like almost being like quite money obsessed and like, mm. you know, this, this quantitative amount of your, your um, income reflects almost like your position in society. Like yeah. it's almost like yeah. everyone's become like a top Trump card type thing. Yeah. What you earn, what you earn determines your value, which is just an obscene yeah. way of thinking. And, you know, carers um, would fall under this, uh, under the wage cap. And yet they call that unskilled. Mm, I know. know. I I mean, I I mean, surely that's a great skill is to is to care for. Or people who you know, um, porters in hotels. You know, I mean, I've done lots of shitty jobs in in, in my time, and none of them were unskilled. Some of them were tedious and horrible, but none of them were unskilled. That's what I just don't get. I can't get my hair. You know, I was looking at jobs recently at the NHS and looking at um, working in a mental health hospital in Swansea, and like you know, this is this is pretty low pay work, right? Mm. It's one of the one of the lower bands. And that is going to be one of the hardest jobs there is, like working yeah, in that kind yeah. of environment, like incredibly challenging, difficult work. And yet, obviously, you know, you're quantified in the in the current system as, you know, low skill, low pay, yeah, and yeah. therefore, you know, low value, basically. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. it's just... And, and, and a low value human being. I mean, look at someone like Chris Grayling, you know, so, so low skilled. That every one of his projects failed and actually ended up costing the British economy five billion, <laughs> pointlessly for nothing to show it, and yet he's seen as skilled. That's the man is utterly inept. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. yet 
he earns whatever politicians earn, 65 grand a year, something like that. So he seems highly skilled. It's a bit like those, uh, I guess, um, major banks going through, but then all like uh, the bosses getting huge bonuses of millions. Yeah, like, even uh, the banks collapse. Yeah, here yeah, we are, like, yeah. buy a gold toilet. Or that, There's like. only three professions in which you can be massively financially rewarded for being a total fuck-up. And that's politician, banker, and football manager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you fail and you get massively financially rewarded. It's, it's, but I mean, you know. Yeah. I think, um, in some sense, Broken Ghost is an extension from Stump. You know, the guy who's only got one arm. Um, and that quote at the beginning of Stump, um, when the Shackleton ex- expedition, when they said at moments of extreme extremity and danger, <coughs> we were, we were convinced there was someone walking alongside us. Again, it's probably a hallucination of, of a mind at, at, at its extreme, a collective hallucination. But, I, I, you know, I could extrapolate from that and thinking, well, you know, one time this would have been Christ, you know, walking alongside us or some kind of saviour. What is it now? You know? So I think in, in, in Broken Ghost, the point, one of the points I was trying to make there was that this is a time of collective peril, you know? And we're all looking for something who walk, walks alongside, alongside us, a person of great guardianship, um, and care who's walking alongside us to steer us through this bad time so that's what people are looking for and what they see in the Brockton Spectre yeah and I, how this you know one of the other sort of things I wanted to ask you is about uh, the way the kind of the role that social media plays in all this mm. and social media being having this kind of spectral quality <laughs> in you know <laughs> society and the, and, the, and the kind of role that that plays in people's lives and senses of self and obviously like the whole you know, obviously not wanting to give too much of the novel away, but the way that the role that social media plays in this sort of general um, raising of awareness of, of what's happened at the beginning of the book, right? This this, yeah, this vision yeah. that was, and the blog no, post, not a vision, yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. you know this occurrence yeah. that happens, yeah. and the kind of you know the the positive uh, aspect, the, the positive social aspects of that of the way that social media can bring people together, but also the way that it can be this really horrific, damaging force you know mm. what are your own experiences with social media and the way and the kind of role it plays in um not a massive amount um i was on twitter briefly and i was thrown off <laughs> for calling some brexity bigger to cunt um so i was actually thrown off you know permanently barred He's it's, still... it's quite difficult to get permanently banned from i know that's, but the that, chief that's, itself, like... that's that's all it was using the word cunt yeah. I used it several times i but, got sort of gimp once and i got suspended it was like oh come on like, for, for what gimp Oh, a gimp! They just want to call someone a gimp. Yeah, it's like, oh, get off, you gimp! Like, and you, see, like, you uh, see, and, actually, and, and, and this guy's still bigoting away, you know, you know, and he hasn't been thrown off. Um, you know, I think Katie Hopkins has only just been thrown off. Hasn't yeah, she? only just. I, I, I think, think she's still off. But, I mean, the priorities are all wrong. You know, I mean, if one of the priorities is hate crime, Donald Trump wouldn't have a Twitter account. Yeah. But I find it fascinating, and, and one reason I find it fascinating for is, is that a lot of writers don't quite know what to do with it. Yeah. So that's why a lot of people are on historical novels. I haven't said that; I've just written one. Um, but that was, that was Shauna Gough, you know, it was a localised story that I found f- fascinating. Um, and I'll never do it again. But I think that's why a lot of writers are doing that, because they're going back to a time, you know, bef- before they have, they have to deal with this stuff, before it even existed. There's only people like Sally Rooney and like, one or two, really. Uh, uh, Dave Llewellyn, actually, from South Wales. Um, he did it oh, yeah, yeah. in his first yeah. novel. Eleven, I think it was called. Um, there's very few people who were doing it, but it's there, and it's how people live. You know, yeah. and the way it atomizes people, but at the same time can be very supportive. I find this really quite fascinating, and I don't quite know where we're going. It's it's so new. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a it's a work in progress to deal with what we had 
in social media two years ago. Yeah, and it's changing so, all the time so quickly. And changing all the time, exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we write about so what we're writing about social media today. By the time that novel's gonna come out, it'll have all changed. So it's a work in progress. Yeah, it's a and I don't know where You've got to treat it as a time capsule in a way, I suppose, because it's so difficult I guess to get so. a sense of I, I guess how so. it's gonna develop, you know. It's And it's a, it's a writer's duty to do that, I think. Yeah. Um to see how um, it's a kind of, almost like a kind of cyborgization of it's humanity. Weird, yeah, I, you know, we're becoming part machine in some ways. We're living, we're living our lives partly through machines, mm. um, and that's the bit in, in Broken Ghost when Emma switches on her phone. She's had a phone off for ages. She switches on her phone and she just, you know, the phone screaming at her with all these waiting tweets and comments on her blog posts and texts and things, and she starts to think that half of me lives inside inside her phone. Mm. You know. And we, it's, it's everywhere. We carry, you know, we carry the carry phone everywhere with us. In one thing, it's a great thing. You know, you're on the bus and you've got access to one of the, one of the you know, the greatest library that the, that the world's ever had. But you've also got access to the worst this sewers is, yeah, of the human even, soul. Even Twitter is something that, you know, it's so difficult to grapple with because it is such a complex animal, mm. isn't it? But, you know, I, the question of its impact on people's mental health as well. And the, and the way that, you know, mental health is a big theme on Twitter, actually, and the way that people use it as yeah, an identity as, almost as well. well. Yeah. I, I don't want to, yeah. I wouldn't say that, but it's because I think it can be a, a, a like a really useful connecting tissue, you know, between yeah, people and, yeah. and, and gives, yeah. a, gives, is a space for people to like air, you know, their, their issues and, and realize and bringing the issue of mental but health I, into the conversation. Can I, can I counter but, that with, but, sorry. Yeah, I think I know what you're going to say is that, you know, the flip side of that is that it's also a very depressing cesspit of it conversation can, it can because, be as well, yeah. because it's, yeah. it's not working yeah. through anything. It's just this constant kind of. Yeah, because you, you <laughs> adapt like your mental health issue is your identity. And it's, it's not like, like you said, you're not looking to kind of get better from it. It's because, well, I'm getting a lot of likes and a lot of attention because this is now my brand. And then, you know, it almost yeah. causes you yeah. to act out yeah. in a sense because you're like, yeah. oh, if I say this, I'll get more attention. So, you know, it's, it's like. Yeah. I mean, yeah. oh, I don't know. I don't want to go into like, talk about depression too much, but in in terms like there there are aspects of depression which I argue argue are like it's it's narcissistic because you can only think of yourself, and then that's amplified through Twitter or yeah. social media where you know yeah. you yeah, are this profile that yeah yeah I can see what you mean, and I see it in some ways as a parallel to the development of weapons in America. You know, I mean, the whole right to bear arms was written when the, the arms were muskets. So if you you're angry with somebody. No, you stay there and wait five minutes while I load my musket, yeah. and then I'll shoot you. By the time you load the musket, you think, "Oh, let's not bother." <laughs> but now, but so it's the similar thing now. You know, you know, you have a thought that passes through your mind before you before you've digested that thought and what it says about you and everybody else. You've tweeted it out to the world. Yeah, like transient thoughts become permanent. They become permanent. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you, you might delete it straight yeah. after, but it's been shared. Thunders have been screenshotted. You know, so it's I see it as a as a as a as a, as a, dist- a, a parallel with the the. the Modern instant destruction of 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 modern weapons, mm. you know. Yeah, it's it's out there very very quickly, which is a scary thing. Um, and I don't know really know where it's going to go. You know, we're going to have to learn how to live with it somehow. Yeah, or not how not to live with it. As or well. how, or how not you to know, live with I, it. Yeah, I found yeah. that the less time I spend on Twitter, the happier. Yeah, I me really too. Am, so. Me too. When I was thrown off Twitter, it was you know after after a few days, well, this is a bl-. although I did feel a little bit a little bit of a sense of loss at first. You know, geez, I can't tweet anymore. You know. 
And then I thought, I was only on for six months anyway, but I did kind of find it quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's weird, isn't it? Just arguing and getting annoyed by people you've never You're never going to meet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you're never going to meet them. And they're never going to agree it's with It's like getting annoyed by and, 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 you know, 140 or 280 characters, yeah. if, you, if you've got your blue tick. It's like getting you know, angry you can't really character almost, isn't mm. it? Yeah, exactly that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can't even discuss much. You end up having a discussion with a pal. So let's leave us and so we meet for the pint next time. You know. Yeah, that's and it. And then we'll talk about it. You know, we're not talking about it on Twitter because you miss you miss the nuances of conversations. You know. Yeah. You know, because it is a small chunk, then you do. And it's disembodied as well, isn't it? Because you can pick up so much from someone's so from. Yeah, body so language, from, from body and language, gestures, you know, yeah, and not yeah, just what's coming yeah, out of your mouth. Facial you know, expression, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you miss all the non-verbal communication. Yeah, you call someone like a cunt, and it'd be like, you know. Just like yeah, and not be offensive in a sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean that's yeah, well that's one thing as well. You know, you know the word cunt was brought, I was brought up with that. People would defer to bloody, I don't know, their, their tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. As a cunt, you know, can I have more salt in, in the cunt? You know, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Things like that. I mean, it's like you know, in 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 Carnarvon, you know, you go into a bar, shimmy cunt. What can I get you? you know, it's just yeah, a yeah. kind of term of endearment. Yeah, it is, like, isn't you know, it? It's like, yeah. Places like that, but it's not even that big a word. It seems to me. You know, no. Well, certainly my upbringing and you know my experience now, mm. cunt's just another. Comma. Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Broken Ghosts, you know, one of the things I really like about the novel is the, is the way you write about, um, mental health and, and how that's mm. experienced by characters and mm. mental health being, you know, one of the, you know, internalized sort of effects of austerity and the, and the way, and the pressures of austerity, I suppose. Mm. You know, was that a deliberate, I mean, how deliberate was that in terms of the way that you approached the novel and, and characterization? And, you know, I was interested in the way that Emma, you know, part of the way that she starts to kind of deal with the anxiety that she's experiencing is, you know, is to dig, right? And to... Yeah, dig, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and connect with her physical, you know... Exactly, yeah. And and her environment, you know. So I was wondering if you could talk a bit about that. Um, I think, um, I mean, that's always always been my interest, really, is to show how you know um, big historical movements often um, instigated by self-serving halfwits, you know, and uh, party politics has uh, has an effect on the individual. You know, um, the individual seems to be seems to be airbrushed out of history. Really, I think that's probably uh, a, a, a guiding principle of an awful lot of writers. To be honest with you, and now we're at a singularly uncomfortable time for a hell of a lot of people. You know. Um, I mean, all the characters, main, the three main characters in Broken Ghost have, have immense vulnerabilities, even Cowley, you know, and how they are trying to live and basically be decent people in some ways, you know, um, which has been which has been prompted by this vision. Um, but how, well, you know what happens at the very end, I won't say because you, you haven't finished it yet, but it's just, it's just how... Uh, who turns out to be a robot. <laughs> <laughs> Not a robot, an alien. <laughs> um and just how there are forces there that will stamp out this, you know. You know, it's just it's this um, homogenization of emotion and yearning, and what it is to be human, just seems to me has been totally absorbed by how much can you earn, you know, like like we, we like we, we, we were talking about before. How useful are you financially? I mean, now we've got this phrase going around, economically inactive. You know, uh, yeah. Pretty Patel has been. I feel like I should spit when I say her name. To be honest with you. Um, you know, she's been talking about economically inactive people. Well, how she says there's eight, eight, eight million economically inactive people, and yet in the next breath, she said there's only 1.3 million unemployed. 
So where does the other 6.7 million come from? Econ can active means carers or students or retired or the sick, you know. Yeah. Not something like uh, the royal family. Like. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Not, I, mean, I mean, that's another thing as well, you know. You know, we're all meant to doff our caps for Prince Charles's 60th birthday. Uh, not, not Prince Charles, sorry. Prince Andrew's 60th birthday. Yeah. You know, knowing what he's accused of and what he's done and what he'll never be convicted for. Um, so that's another thing as well. You know, um, we're in a bad place, I think, in, in, in Britain at the moment. Um, and I think Brexit has exacerbated it. But I think it was always bubbling under the surface before Brexit, to be honest with you. Brexit is just allowed, Brexit was the boil that, 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 that has burst. And all the pusses as, as, as. It's exposed big, everything as that was bubbling away under the surface. Yeah, I think so, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think 10 it was going to come out. 12 years now of austerity is. <laughs> yeah. And, and, well. and, no, no letter by there. You know, yeah. um, and there's not going to be any more let up. You know, you know, Brexit is going to de- or further decimate already decimated earlier. I think as well, it's just like such like an accepted age of cynicism. Like you know, saying just mm. now about Prince Andrew basically being uh, a, a child molester, pretty mm. much. You know, and mm. yeah, you know, and then you'd be like, yeah, allegedly. but there's nothing we can do. Yeah, allegedly, um, yeah, and allegedly. then like, oh, literally with um, <laughs> Epstein, like you know, yeah. essentially being murdered and everyone's just like, well, he got murdered. That's what happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, what happened. that's what happens, I guess. Yeah. You know, not like, yeah. oh yeah. my God, like, you know. Yeah, we're in a, in a bad... And the way people are kind of, you know, even liking being lied to. You know, Trump's base, you know, and mm. Boris Johnson's base, you know. Mm. It's almost like they like being lied to. I mean, the whole thing about Boris Johnson's shtick is... You know, speaking to that guy in Birmingham not long ago, you know, he's one of the boys. He's one of the Bullingdon boys. You know, he wouldn't piss off you if you were on fire. Yeah. If you were homeless, he'd hold up a £20 note and burn it in front of you. That's what he is. That's what he's he not, did, he, didn't he? He's not. And, and he actually, well, alleged, allegedly, yeah. Yeah, when he's, he's, he's in the Bullingdon Club. You know, that's what these people are like. But yeah. um, never underestimate the British the British need to tug the forelock and go along with 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 bigotry delivering the posh voice. I was thinking that it's almost like a safety thing, isn't it? You'd be like, because there's like such a kind of class division and only, I guess, now getting more and more that it's just like... There's almost like this. You give yourself over to like these people who just seem to be, you know, in charge or like from better yeah, stock. Like, maybe just yeah. Like it's almost like paternal surrender. Yeah, yeah. It's a surrender. Yeah. You know, you know. It's you know, it's 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 deep in the DNA of the collective British psyche. It seems to me. There are pockets that, but it isn't, of course. You know, Scotland, certainly this part of Wales. Yeah, um, well, I was cities like Liverpool and Manchester. You know, you know certainly the, the, the Bristol. You know, these areas don't. I've never had that, but I think it's. Really disheartening to see how widespread it actually is. Britain is fucked. Is Wales any different for you? Is there, you know, is there a sense for you that Wales, there's the potential for Wales to be a different kind of place? I think so, and I really hope so. And um, the fl- the only flicker of political hope I've had in 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 the past few years is at the Annabuniak March in Carnarvon, and there's one in Aberystwyth on the 29th. Um, it was just a flicker of hope. Um, my pal up there, and I remember there was, um, there was a group of people, a family on obviously on holiday, they, they looked Spanish or Portuguese, and thinking, well, they, you know, they know about what happens when people walk past with um, banners and things, and you know, singing national anthems. You know, they've seen it. You know, not 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 good comes of it. And I was speaking to my pal up there, and he was saying, you know, this, this worries me that you know these people seeing that. But as the day wore on, you know, there was one of the locals teaching this family. Um, the words, the words to land of our fathers, you know. And I was like, well, this is what it should be. This kind of welcoming, civic independence. I mean, I don't like, I don't like, you know, calling the SNP or or Plaid Cymru in uh, nationalist parties. They're independence parties, you know, which is a very different yeah. take, you know. Yeah. Nationalism, although I'm probably, you know, the writer William Volman, 
who said nationalism in a big, powerful country is about oppression and coercion and exploitation. Yeah. In a small, weak country, it's about liberation and autonomy and, and self-identity. Yeah, and potential. Yeah. I don't know about... I was talking about Volman the other week because I've been reading Carbon Ideologies, you know, the um, the book about Carbon. That's his, one of his... I think it was his latest... It's one of his latest ones. It's two, he turns him out, doesn't he? He's right. He's, he's incredible. Is yeah. yeah, yeah. I want to get him on the pod, actually. <laughs> yeah. I really... The, the newer one is about climate change, you know, but mm. he went to mm. Fukushima straight after everything happened. Yeah. And, yeah. and um, you know, it's kind of reportage as to what was happening there. But yeah, yeah, he's phenomenal. But no, I didn't realize he'd written about this. Yeah, um, um, I can't remember where he. Wrote. I think it might have been Rise Up and Rising Down. You oh, know, that, yeah. that massive, massive thing he wrote. Yeah, but, 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 but he mentioned that and nationalism is a dirty word. Yeah, it is a dirty word. But in, as he, he says, it's different for small, weak countries than it is for, for large, powerful countries. I can, kind of, I can kind of see that. But it's getting, you know, I think the union, you know, the 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 UK is broken. I think, and um, and I don't think it's coming back, really, not for a long, long time. And I do think it's time for big constitutional change, you know. And I see Wales, it's you know, it's three million, so it's you know, it's it's, it's bigger than se- several countries in the European Union, you know. I mean, look at Malta, for instance, you know. Yeah. Um, and I just see it as this kind of um, there's a potential yeah. um that I think, you know, could be. Um, I don't really don't want to sound like a breakfast unleashing Britain's potential, you know, and all this bollocks. And to kind of be free of the taint of empire and imperialism, you know, and the recognition that mm. this is one of the one of the countries that was imperial in, in, in colonised, you know, a, a long, long time ago, um, as was Scotland. So, and I can sense seismic seismic shifts, mm. you know, seismic political changes that's going on. What do you think is the um the role of culture within the, these, you know, massive social shifts. Do you, you know, do you view yourself as a a political writer who's attempting to intervene in in these broader conversations, or you know, what's your? I'm I'm I'm, I'm trying to, um, uh, but I'm, you know, novels have never had the same um, expansive um, consumption or impact as films have, say, or you know, TV. Um, but nevertheless, I think the you know culture is well. It's like it's like this is why you know the, the destruction of cultural artifacts is seen as an act of genocide, even though that in itself does not involve the killing of anybody, any human being, but seen as an act of genocide because it's stamping out a culture, you know, which is part and parcel of genocide. So it's just you know it's it's. I mean, you know, the first thing that authoritarian communities do is burn books, you know. Um, authoritarian movements do is, is, is burn books and, and get rid of get rid of a person's culture, you know. So that's how essential it is. Um, is that it scares, it scares authoritarians, you know, and that in a way is showing how powerful and essential and crucial it is for the identity of a nation. Do you think we're, uh, Wales offers you know um, a, a, a positive environment for working as an artist? I'd say yes. I mean, it's you know traditionally the the art the artistic figure that's been revered in Wales is the poet, you know you know the bard. Um, I think that's slowly changing. I mean, remember when I, when I did a tour um, of the of the Mab- of the Mabinogion series, you know, and we we're in Cardiff and um, quite a large hall and and a young lad who's about seventeen or eighteen. He said, you know, we're we're teaching, we're being taught this at school, um, and he said, but I don't think there's much interest in it. I said, I said the hall is full. There's like 700 people there. There was standing room only, you know. I think this shows you how important it is, you know, and, yeah. and, and this was happening all over Wales. 
Now, I know the map and arguing is you know, so central to Welsh history and culture and yeah. identity and all that kind of thing. But it shows that, there's, that it's still that it's still there. You know, that there is this interest there. Um, I think it's, you know, the, the you know the cliches that uh, you know I was saying before. It's where I attacked it in in, in um, Sheepshagger. The cliches, you know, it's a land of song and all that. You know, all that kind of stuff. A land of a land of bardic endeavour on top of misty hill mountainsides. You know that kind of nonsense. Yeah. But I think not only not only is it is it historically important to Wales. It's 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 important in the present as well for this. Working out, trying to identify the, the 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 current social political streams and how to navigate them, and also you know like um, the Welsh Arts Review is is um, in peril at the moment. How we're going to you know there's massive upheav- political upheavals coming, and we're going to need thing institutions like the Welsh Arts Review to, yeah. to 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 look at these and assess them and assimilate them and, and work out what's happening. I think you know um, the art the the art. Of a of a of a country, especially a country that's going through such upheaval, um, is utterly utterly crucial. You know, it's it's it says as much as any as as a million politician soundbites. Yeah, you know. Good. I hope Dan's listening because uh, being the philistine that he is, he just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's uh, probably just uh, curled out now and he like in the spa. Yeah, even the sauna by now. I imagine. Yeah, yeah. He, he's been, out. He's having grapes peeled for him by, by, <laughs> yeah. by, by some nymph. <laughs> probably. Uh, that's quite close to the truth, to be honest. Yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, right, Neil. I think we will probably finish up there about an hour. So, um, thanks so much for doing this. You're very welcome. You're more than welcome. Just outside Aber, and um, you're more than welcome. Yeah, it's been a really nice afternoon. Just got to drive back now and uh, try and. Make sure Nate doesn't throw up in yeah, the car. Yeah, my, my sensitive, yeah, my sensitive <laughs> self. Um, as is traditional, <laughs> do you have any shout outs to anyone or any beefs you want to start? As this is the official platform to do both. Beefs, Jesus Christ, where do I start? Um, <laughs> um, every Tory politician, um, several Labour politicians, you know, so on and so on and so on. Um, yeah, in fact, I'm not going to start many. with beefs because I'll yeah. just go on forever. Yeah, yeah. we'll do a separate yeah. episode for your beefs. Both yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Content, yeah, like. yeah, 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 yeah. There'll, there'll be more beef than a Texas ranch. <laughs> um, shout outs. Um, no, no shout outs. Again, y- Jürgen. No Klopp, one is yeah. deserving. Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Shout outs for me. Um, <coughs> no, I'm still in. I'm still feeling negative. So I've got no no positive shout outs for me. Beefs again. Anyone who's refusing to give me work, <laughs> yeah, shout out to the um, yeah the uh, DWP for giving me three hundred quid a month. So, <laughs> class. Uh, my shout outs are to the film Bait, which is really good. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's good. class. Yeah, it looks yeah, looks, yeah. looks good. Yeah. Um, and what's going on? Yeah, and to Under the Silver Lake as well, <laughs> which got um, absolutely panned by some critics. I know Mark Mode hated it, but I thought it was absolutely brilliant. What's so. that one called? Under the Silver Lake. Never, I've heard of that one. Oh, it's, it's amazing. Uh, check that out. Any beefs? Uh, <laughs> probably, but I can never remember them. Beef, beef actually with everyone who's obsessed with income and like as that as a value of their person and how they treat people. Mm. So I hope they'll die. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, basically. Cool. Good stuff. Okay. Well, as usual, follow us on Twitter at Desolation Wales. Please subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Uh, and- Patreon on Patreon, and we've got some stuff coming up. We're doing another run of t-shirts. And a live event coming up in March, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, and buy all Neil's books twice. Yeah, twice. Yeah, make sure you do yeah. That. yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. Thanks, right. Neil. Thanks so much. Hoyle.
Of course we are challenging nature itself and it hits back. It just hits back, that's all. And that's grandiose about it and we have to, to accept that it is much stronger than we are. Kinski always says it's full of erotic elements. I don't see it so much erotic, I see it more full of obscenity. It's just, and nature here is vile and base. I wouldn't see anything erotical here. I would see fornication and asphyxiation and choking and fighting for survival and growing and just rotting away. Of course, there's a lot of misery, but it is the same misery that is all around us. The trees here are in misery and the birds are in misery. I don't think they, they sing, they just screech in pain. It's an unfinished country. It's still prehistorical. The only thing that is lacking is, is the dinosaurs here. It's like a curse weighing on an entire landscape. And whoever goes too deep into this has his share of that curse. So we are cursed with what we are doing here. It's a land that God, if he exists, has, has created in anger. It's the only land where, where creation is unfinished yet. Taking a close look at, at what's around us, there, there is some sort of a harmony. It is the harmony of overwhelming and collective murder. And we, in comparison to the articulate vileness and baseness and obscenity of all this jungle, uh, we, in comparison to that enormous articulation, we only sound and look like badly pronounced and half-finished sentences out of a stupid suburban novel, a cheap novel. And we have to become humble in front of this overwhelming misery and overwhelming fornication, overwhelming growth and overwhelming lack of order. Even the, the stars up here in the, in the sky look like a mess. There is no harmony in the universe. We have to get acquainted to this idea that there is no real harmony as we have conceived it. But when I say this, I say this all full of admiration for the jungle. It is not that I hate it, I love it. I love it very much, but I love it against my better judgment. <laughs> 